Welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ball Player Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us here today on our, and this is an exciting time, on our 50th, the 50th episode of the Better Men, Better Ball Player Podcast. And uh, extremely excited for this guest uh, for our 50th episode. Really special because we're really close to 52, which means I'm coming up on a year of doing our weekly podcast, providing information on growing the game the right way, developing players not only physically but mentally, and hearing about how the game teaches us beyond the game and how these coaches are teaching the game the correct way and the correct way is very objective. It's very subjective, I should say. It's not objective. But when I say the right way, but it's for the right reasons. A lot of these guys are without ego. A lot of these guys are have a growth mindset. A lot of these guys challenge their ideas. A lot of these guys are reflective. And no one else, and this guy in the 50th episode embodies that. Willie Marshall from 108 Performance. If you have not, if you don't know 108 Performance, if you know, you know that these guys... And especially Willie is a learner. One of the smartest guys I've ever met. Can't believe he's a baseball coach. (laughs) Um, Extremely smart. Intelligent. You'll hear that throughout the episode. But the most important thing is that Willie is a learner. He is a humble, humble person. He is willing to share and talk to anybody. And he could talk over all of our heads, but he's such a great communicator that he's able to even break it down and make it clear for us in a very simple layman's terms. Um, But a little bit about Willie. He's the current operations coordinator and leading pitching instructor for 108. It's in Tustin, California. Um, Bridge the gap that they're so known for, bridging the gap. And he talks a little about bridging the gap because really bridging the gap is about old school and new school and bridging the gap between the two. And, um, but... He's a clinician. He or, helps organize, and he's also been a clinician at that at that uh, conference. He's a former professional player for the United United Shores Professional Baseball League. He's um, been a former select ball organizer, commissioner of the Texas Ball Wiffle Ball League. He's graduated and he played at the University of Dallas. And like I said, he is just a learner. He challenges the status quo. He challenges his own what he knows and eva- constantly evaluates what he does, and. Always willing to learn, like I said, always willing to share. And um, just the conversations, the past couple conversations, been so fortunate to get to know him this year. It's just been uh, unbelievable. And because uh, the amount of guys that actually text him and he works with, especially now, like they're all over Zoom and guys are contacting him through um, their cell phone and all different things, different ways he has to do his work. Um, just very fortunate and. Um, I really appreciate, you know, Will giving me the time to talk, but we've had some extremely conversations. I remember Willie uh, being in a hotel lobby, and we're sitting on the ground, and we're feeling our body, and we're um, going over different positions, and just just getting just getting into it, man. And and Will, it was just fun, and, and Will was just, uh, oh man, it was it's just a blast, and it's just a blast to talk to Will, and and I'm, I'm sure you guys will hear that coming out. We we touch base on um, 
on topics that we didn't feel was going to happen. It was one of the most authentic conversations that none of us thought we'd go to, and we didn't even cover some of the things we thought we wanted to get into. There's so much more you can talk to Will about. Uh, he's such a great on like body movements and kines- uh, the kinesiology and movement of things. Uh, but we honestly didn't even get into a lot of that. We got into most of the, the relationships, and we got into most of like, the questions that you're talking to your players about. And really, like the, the bare bones and concept principle what it comes down to is is being able to help a kid with what they believe, and once you can tap in and see it with their from their eyes, and then get them to change, not necessarily change, but once we can see it, and we can communicate that to them better. We can f- get them from instead of taking six, eight different reps, we can get it in two because we can cut back the layers and the beliefs and get down to it by asking the questions, having the relationship and really understanding the person they are. So, um, just an incredible conversation. And, um, you know, Willie's, uh, and I think this is a conversation that can go through all kinds, all levels. And we'll even talk about that because we'll, it will work with a 10 year old and he'll work with a pro guy. And so, um, and he, he talks about that in the, in the, in the, the conversation as well. So again, check him out. Will Marshall, 108 performance, just incredible guy. Willie, I can't thank you enough, man. And, uh, you guys enjoy it. Get your notes out. Be ready. Uh, Willie is, is phenomenal and, uh, just can't thank him enough. So without further ado, Willie Marshall, 108 performance. Absolutely. Like seriously, it's, uh, it has completely changed our model, obviously, because we are, you know, 120 kids a week coming in and, um, you know, sometimes they're coming in five days a week. Sometimes they're coming in one day every two weeks. Just kind of depends. But going from that to all of a sudden, no in-person contact. So most of the time in the training facility setting, we don't have a ton of outside contact with them throughout the throughout the week as far as shooting messages back and forth. But I completely, as soon as everything went down, I flipped the switch. I said, all right, everyone of you guys has my phone number. Every day that you're training, we're either going to hop on one of the Zooms with the rest of the guys that are on the train, or you're going to take video of you doing a lot of your work and you're going to send it over. You need to talk me through the same thing we would do in shop. Talk me through what the movement work was. Talk me through what drill work was working well, what wasn't. What were the feelings, thoughts, cues, sensations, things like that. And just write it up. You know, you can send me a voice message. You want to send me a video, that's fine. But we just had conversations back and forth. So literally all of a sudden, I went from being so focused on being in the shop 14 hours a day, coaching and training players, to being on Zoom for like 8 to 10 hours a day and then having about 250 texts a day to respond to. (laughs) So it was it ended up still being the same length of time as far as days went. It was just, you know, I'm used to being athletic instead of sitting here in a chair all day. So uh, that was a little bit different. But then other than that, it was like still the same conversations having the players. Obviously, in the same thing in the school system, right? You have some kids that you connect with really well because they can connect through their phone. They love to text. So they love to send video and other kids who are terrible with it. Right. So it's like finding that happy medium where they can they can still feel comfortable reaching out and it's not pulling teeth because if they don't want to do it, as you know, this, no matter if it's baseball, cooking, doing your chores, if you don't want to do it, you're going to do it half-assed. Like mm-hmm. just is, yeah. is what it is. So I think that was just like a biggest revolution for us, but it, uh, I would say the biggest takeaway we got from it. And the reason it was so like, I tell people right now when, when people are freaking out saying it was a bad thing, I think it was so beneficial. Um, couple of reasons. First off from a big picture standpoint, the players were not worried about the results right now. I think too many guys are worried about saying, oh my gosh, I went and worked on something in the cage. It didn't feel perfect this week. I'm really worried about how I'm performing the game this week. It's like, 
well, is this weekend going to determine who you are as a baseball player? Sure, every opportunity you get is a chance to, you know, kind of prove where you're at, but you're constantly evolving process and being, right? Like, it's not like your swing or your, your delivery is the same from week to week. Like, you're always should be evolving, tinkering. So um, I think it gave them the opportunity to see, like, hey, like, I can just work on stuff and it's okay if it's not perfect tomorrow. I can just, I can just go for it because next week I get to try it again. <laughs> mm, that's good. So that was sweet. And that was the first part. And then I think the second part of that is that because I wasn't there to fix it for them yeah, the same yeah. way. So I couldn't manipulate them physically. And I couldn't, um, even if I was going to cue them and stuff, I knew they didn't have the same implements and tools. So a lot of times what I ended up reverting to is I've kind of gone to more of like, um, I think uh, Zach Dakin told me it's like, well, you're using like the Socratic seminar theory, where it's just uh, like, yeah. you're asking questions more than you're giving feedback. So I've always done a little bit, but I almost completely um, reverted to that where all I'm doing is I'm asking them, hey, did you understand what that felt like? Was it good? Was it bad? Give them an idea of the polar differences between good throws, bad throws, good swings, bad swings. Cool. Then we can start breaking it down to, okay, why was that one good? Why was that one bad? All right. Was that one an A, B, or a C? And slowly but surely, you start raising their floor, right? Raising their ceiling on the quality. Um, but then at the same time, like they develop feel for it, which is at the end of the day, everything. So it really put the ownership on the player yeah, to have yeah. to do it through Zoom where I was still there. I was still the bumpers on the bowling lane, right? I was keeping them going the right direction, but they're, they were making sure that they were driving the ship rather than I think a lot of coaches right now get stuck in the, in the rat race, especially with lessons. And I, again, this isn't true of everyone, but I think I see it all too often where a kid comes in and they're struggling with something and they want help, but rather than trying to be part of the problem solving process, they just want to hand it off completely to the coach. Can you fix coaches? Yeah, that's right. And it's not the coach's job to completely solve the problem. It's the coach's job to help guide the player so that the player understands it. the player can execute it on their own. Because as soon as that player leaves your shop or leaves that lesson, it doesn't matter if he was able to execute it in the lesson if he can't execute it in the game on his own or at practice on his own. Transfer. Yeah, absolutely. So that was that was the best part. That was like the biggest takeaway from doing uh, from doing all the all the Zoom stuff. And seriously, even now that we've got we got small groups going now in person, um, nothing's really all fully opened up really in California yet. Not everyone's super comfortable with it, but we still have Zooms. And I think even going forward, we're still going to have at least one day a week where there's some Zoom opportunities because the opportunity for guys to learn about what it's supposed to look like or what other guys are talking about and feeling like. They, most time they never communicate with other guys in that way, you know? So getting a chance to see another player who's struggling with the exact same thing or a similar movement issue and seeing how they think about it from a completely different perspective, with different drills, different cues. And it's like, Oh my gosh, I never tried that. And so then the player goes, well, I'm going to go try that. And so they start asking questions. They go try it on their own and they're starting to learn to problem solve. So Lily, what we did is, um, you know, it, it's a Bible verse, but it's like, you know, you teach you give a man a fish he eats for a day. You teach a man how to fish each for his life. So literally, we just tried to cultivate an environment where we taught them how to problem solve. We taught them how to fish. And now they can do it on their own. And most time when we're on Zooms, like I'm just facilitating. Yeah, They're talking yeah. to each other, giving each other feedback. And when something's incorrect or needs more needs more guidance, I'll give it. But um, they're pretty much they're like is like kind of a cheesy way of saying it, but like they're becoming their own best coaches. That's right. That's exactly that's exactly what I was gonna say. Is like you know, like my buddy Jimmy Jackson, you know, and actually a ton of coaches I've had just yeah. talking here. Like it's it's what it's about. It's about us making them their best coach. And it's funny you say that too. Like the more guys that I've had say that is like even like with my son, because I think at the youth level you get a lot of like every swing, every pitch, they're saying, get your this, da, 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 da. I'm like, mm-hmm. 
I said to a kid, I'm like, do you know who your best coach is? Like we were just working with him on, on the, in a bullpen once. And I'm like, you know, who your best coach is? He's, and like, he didn't know what to say. I'm like, you are like, because you're out here by yourself. And if you can't feel it, or if you don't know, if you don't have the awareness of like, Oh, the last two were up and in, you know, like you need to recognize that first. And yeah. Granted the kid's 10 years old, but like, even just to start, like, it's not us over here. Like, this is not like, and I have to, then I'm like, man, like this kid is not prepared for to problem solve. Like you right. were saying in a game. And uh, I'm like, man, like maybe I need, I need to create uh, some skill sets for this kid. Cause he's very athletic, but skill set of problem solving a skill set of like, having awareness, you know, creating awareness of here's what I just did for the past two pitches. How can I fix it? Yeah. But that's, that's a part of the environment, right? It's not the kid's fault. It's the fact that youth baseball, and especially because the travel select sector has kind of taken over the last five or 10 years. Like they, instead of it being little league pony baseball, where they're supposed to be learning the rules of their game, they're supposed to be learning the culture, the dynamic of how everything flows. It's now becoming a, a, a system focused on winning, right? And so because the kid at such a young age, it's not a bad thing to be focused on winning, but the coaches are so focused on winning that they're not letting the kids play the game. They're trying to tell the kids what to do or they're they're calling out signs, but instead of just saying like, okay, here's the scenario. What do you think you should do when this play happens? They're yelling and telling them where to throw the ball and everything. The kid's not learning any faster, mm-hmm. right? They need to make the mistakes. They need to have to problem solve their own. Now, can they need guidance at some point? For sure. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, some coaches are big pride ego guys where it's like, you know, they, they want the wins and they want it to look good, but um, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. At some point, like it's your job's on the line. Right. So, I mean, you got to get results, whether it's wins or showing that a player is developing over time. Um, however, I think for the overall maturity of the player, I think it makes way more sense to be a little bit more hands-off at a younger age, teach them the rules, teach them dynamics, um, give them some structure, right. So they understand how to play the game, but, um, I think as soon as kids at a young age start getting way too deep into mechanics, um, or they get way too deep into, um, relying on someone else to tell them how to play the game or where to throw the ball. And that's when we start getting big issues. Um, the dependency factors is crucial, um, to uh, the independent factor is crucial to a player actually becoming to evolve on their own and become their own problem solvers. Right. So that's, that's something in the game I see right now that definitely is worrisome is because, the only reason I really have a job is because there's tons of players who have either been like most of my job is coaching players out of had bad habits. The only reason they were coached, the the only reason they really developed those bad habits is because they were coached into them at some point, Mm -hmm. not on purpose. A coach was trying to help them and steer them in the wrong direction, not on purpose. Right. But somehow along the way, the player was given information that he interpreted, even if there's good information, the player interpreted it incorrectly or didn't use it in a way that was actually what the movement was trying to be created. So um, feels, people use feels and they talk about them like they're real. So instead of saying, Hey, I want you to feel like you're swinging down or feel like you're finishing your pitch. I want you to swing down. I want you to finish your pitch. And when they demonstrate it, the kids are literal, the kids are all literal. So they're going to try to mimic exactly how you show them. So um, mimicry is a wonderful tool, but it's also very dangerous in that sense. Right? So from a young age, the development of the athlete, they're going to, they're going to soak everything up like a sponge. So if you give them just the framework for how the game works and how to play at the rules, how to be a dirt dog, how to get after it, whatever it might be, those are the things that they're going to take away from the young age. And most of the time you don't have to worry about their movements. Absolutely. 
Like at some, like seriously, even what we do is very movement specific. There are the ideal players that we have, like our youngest kids are our best movers. We don't have to talk to them about mechanics. I just put them sometimes through like a water bag circuit or something, PVC circuit, just because it's going to help them feel the movements. But I don't have to talk about what to do. We just make a game out of it. We make it fun. Um, we help them find a way to, I guess, relate it to the swing. Say, okay, do you feel that? Okay, can you feel that when you swing? Yeah, for sure. Cool, go do it. And then you just change the environment. You change the constraints of the drill and make it a game, make it a competition. Um, and they'll start getting the results. But as soon as you go down that movement rabbit hole and start talking about mechanics with the kids, mm. it can become a very sticky road. Um, and again, most of what I end up having to do is get into the, into the noggin of the kid find out what it is that's made him who he is today, right? What are all his preconceived notions about mechanics? Because if I don't have an understanding of what that, uh, of what those beliefs are in his head, I'm, I can't uncoach some of the beliefs or I can't get on the same page as them. So get an understanding of what a kid's beliefs are, right? What his perceptions are, then get on the same page, get a shared understanding. And then we can actually start trying to problem solve. But that process takes so much longer because the kids have false perceptions usually from the get-go. So if you had a group of young kids, this is why the self-org train guys are like all about it. And it makes sense from a young age for, for skill acquisition and motor learning. But, um, but if you had young kids that were never really taught how to move mechanically efficient, their bodies most of the time will figure it out. Might take time, right? They're not always going to learn at the same speed, but um, most of the time they do start to feel out their own bodies at, 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 you know, by age 10, 12. So um, it's pretty cool. And it, I think you're going to start to see more and more of that as time goes on. But, um, I think there's two almost really hard, uh, uh, ends of the spectrum, right? Some people are going really down the self-work train where it's like no coaching, no, no information whatsoever to the player, no feedback. And then the other side of it is super overcoached. I'm going to tell them every piece about their mechanics. They knew exactly what their knee and their elbows doing at every point to swing. And it's remember the truth often lies in the middle, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, uh, that's, that's kind of the path I see that's going on in the, in the player development world. And that's kind of something that's going to, it's, it's going to be a trend that's going to take 20 years to alter its path because this whole next generation of players, um, from who, who have been playing as soon as even last year, all the way up until guys who've been playing since, you know, 10, 15 years ago, they're kind of stuck in that rut and not, not by their own choice, not by their own doing, but that's how they were brought up. So that's how we have to coach those players currently. Mm-hmm. So will you? So what's the youngest guy either that you're that you're working with? Are you working with those youth guys where you can see the differences between, like you said, making in just constraint training and putting in a game, and then you have like pro guys that you're working with? Yeah. So believe it or not, today just about an hour and a half before I got on here with you, I had a ten year old kid out in uh, Virginia somewhere, and again we do hitting and throwing stuff together. It's all constraint stuff. The kid really doesn't think a whole lot about mechanics. Sometimes the dad overcoaches him a little bit, right? So I kind of have to talk some of that stuff out of his head and just say, hey, man, like, let's just make the game. Let's just turn double plays, right? Let's just hit basketballs. And they'll start to feel the sensations to make it happen. Um, and then you try to transfer those same things from the 10-year-olds, you know, to the middle school kids, to the high school kids. Um, and then I think, you know, the other inspection, like almost every morning, especially in the off seasons, I've got pros from like 9 a.m. my time to about 2 p.m. So, you know, literally in one day I'll coach everything from a 10 year old to a high schooler to a pro guy. And so getting to see all of the ways that their brains work and they mm-hmm. take in information and you can see what it outputs. Um, you'll believe it or not, you'll find that you'll learn way more about how to coach the high schooler, how to coach the pro guy by working with the young kid. Oh, for sure. If it I can say to the young kid, then it's not going to make sense to those guys. I agree there. It's almost like working camp. You know, if you can work, if you can work at camp, those guys, 
you can teach those high school and college kids, you know, in pro guys for sure. You guys, you got to break it down. I started elementary for 11 years too, you know, and then okay. I went to yeah. middle school. So I'm like elementary world that teach you how to teach, you know, yeah. like you get the breakdown things and the way you can manage groups and, you know, and the baseball we call bucketing, you know, that's differentiation and, um, you know, but absolutely, man, that's, it's definitely, uh, so you talked about figuring out what the kids believe. So mm-hmm. part of your process is like of developing kids is just the inner, like an interview process. You kind of start there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all an open line of communication, right? So most time a kid will, this is before we even take a kid on to train with us, we have a pretty lengthy evaluation process. Um, one, because we want to make sure that the kids that are coming are dedicated, but two, also it's like, let's, let's see kind of where you're at. Let's see how, how much you want this and how much you're willing to give up and sacrifice to do it kind of thing. Um, but like, you know, if you start the process off with any relationship, doesn't matter if you're coaching a player or if you're meeting a new girl, whatever it might be, if you start off from the get go and saying, okay, well, I've never been in a relationship with this person before. Let's find out what the expectations are. Let's find out what they, what they're looking for. Let's find out what they think a good relationship should be in this situation. Um, let's find out what they're trying to get out of it. Like if you don't get all those things on the table from the get go, you might find them out as you go, but it's way easier to get that out on the table and then have a clear understanding um, from, from day one. So those things are huge. And then, like you said, I think the belief part, um, I think we treat it less like an interview process and more uh, just like an open dialogue. Like it, it just like when you and I met and we talked at uh, that Alabama convention, kind of thing, it was like, seriously, just let's talk it. Let's start talking about reciprocal movement and crossbody tension and kickbacks. It's like, okay, let's do it. And like, mm-hmm. we didn't know each other. I had no context of what you knew about it. And you had some of mine, maybe from watching some of my stuff went off. But like at the end of the day, it was as if we were two individuals who had some uh, prior knowledge, but mm-hmm. no relationship with each other before. So in order to establish a relationship, you have to start communicating in as open terms as possible. So you start asking the kid, Hey, so like talk, if you were going to teach me how to hit, I've never hit before. What are the most important things to you about hitting? And most of the time, once you get the kid comfortable and they're trusting you, like, they'll open up and they'll give you a 10 minute diatribe on like, Oh, well, I really need to think about take my knob to the ball. And I try to really turn my back hip. So you just start taking notes down. And so by the end of this little chat from the kid, I have a complete understanding of this kid is telling me exactly what he believes he's supposed to do to complete the task of throwing or hitting a baseball. Once you have that context, now you can actually work on developing some kind of plan around, okay, how am I going to alter those movements without trying to just completely crush his belief systems, right? Um, you, you do obviously at some point want to change some of those beliefs if they are kind of taking him astray. Um, however, I think the most important part is if you don't understand what his belief system is from the beginning, how the heck are you going to help the kid? You're just throwing crap at the wall, hoping that it sticks. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you could you could give him 10 drills that might be the perfect drill for that movement solution, right? Where that move energy leak is. But if he if he's thinking that he's supposed to throw from up here and finish and follow through like this, it doesn't matter what drill you give him. He's going to try to do the drill, but throw from up here and finish and follow through like this. So until you change that perception, change that belief, he's never going to change his movements. Mm-mm-mm. So in the private setting that you're doing this, is this something that, it, it, let's say you were a coach, I'm going to kind of come back to this every now and then, because I've been thinking yeah. about this, asking you this. So, you know, kind of maybe you know where I'm going, but like, you know, you were, you were having the win games or you were part of a program. How would you bring that kind of evaluation process into your program? Yeah. So I've, uh, I've had it, 
I guess, experimented with, with a couple coaches of the last couple of years. And really they just realized that it worked. And uh, so what I told them was, you know, this sounds crazy, but hear me out. Take your first two weeks of fall practice. And instead of going out and doing scrimmages and starting to do butt defense and all of that stuff that you normally would do in the fall, why not take those first two weeks to get to know each of your players? And then let the players get to know each other. Why not start talking about video and breaking stuff down and find out which kid really gets it and doesn't need as much guidance and which kid is really struggling, doesn't understand the concepts that you're teaching, right? And sure, some of the stuff you do find out as you go, but if you get that understanding from day one, you're going to know where you need to spend your time and energy with each person and you're actually going to develop a relationship with them. So instead of just coaching the same cue over and over again, you'll find out very quickly, oh, the reason that for the last three years, this cue has not worked for this kid and I've been trying to teach him and figure out why he's not listening to me. It's most time that he's not that the kid's not listening to you. He just doesn't understand what you mean by what you said, right? So if you took that time in those first couple weeks just to get to know each of your kids and have those conversations, it will pay you in dividends like literally a hundredfold as the season goes on. Because now when you go to have that conversation with that kid about, hey man, what are you feeling right now? You actually know what he's trying to achieve. You know that his belief system is in the same place. You know that he has a shared understanding of what you talk about with mechanics and what you guys are both trying to get to. Now you can actually have a productive conversation rather than really what it is, is because when I talk about it, uh, Bleak and I will talk about it speaking the same language. Mm -hmm. So from the get-go, you walk in and let's say you, even if we're both speaking English, if I'm talking about mechanics in a totally different light than they understand it, I might as well be speaking Chinese. Sure. So your enti- their entire career that they're with you, you're speaking Chinese, they're, tr- they're speaking English, they're trying to learn how to speak Chinese. And maybe by their senior year, and most coaches will say this, will say, oh, the juniors and seniors, they just, they got it figured out. Well, they had two or three years of understanding your coaching philosophies, your principles, and they got them little nuggets at a time, right? But it took all that time to develop that rapport and that understanding so that by their junior, senior year, they could actually translate it to the field. Um, but imagine what would happen if you did that, and even if you guys try this, even with just a freshman class, I encourage all you guys to do this. Take your freshman class, try this as an experiment, right? Because most of, most of you uh, schools, especially the colleges, are going to have like a period a day where it's just freshman practice, right? If you have that opportunity, try it with them. And just take the first couple of weeks to talk about anything. It could be talking about, hey, man, let's talk about swing mechanics one day, pitching mechanics. Let's talk about uh, – it doesn't matter whatever's most important to you, but get it on the table and you'll find out so much about that individuals um, from, from day one. And um, the guys who have done it so far, what they realized was that there were players that they were trying to coach to get uh, coach uh, movements into or trying to change patterns that it was, they were pulling the hair out over. They couldn't figure it out for like two or three years. And all of a sudden they just said, Oh dude, you've been trying to do that. No, no, no. That's not how it works. You can't throw from up here. Your arm has to match the same plane as your shoulders. And they go, so everyone like throws sidearm? Yeah. All it is is you just change the angle of your trunk. And the kid goes, well, that makes sense. That's what I used to do when I played shortstop. Yeah. Okay. So now let's play. Let's, let's throw every ball. On the mound. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Now let's pretend there's shortstop on the mound. Let's do everything as much as double plays and shortstop moves as you can. And then literally then within a week, the kid is a completely different human being. And all mm-hmm. it took was having the conversation, right? No amount of drill work, no amount of reps was going to change that until you understood where the kid's head was. So the analogy I give guys is you got to get a look inside their snow globe, right? Like kids all live in their own little world and they don't really have a good perception of what's going on outside of it. And they can't see what's going on in your head, but they have a really good understanding 
of what's going on in their world. So the fact that we as coaches have the opportunity to take a peek inside of their snow globe just by asking questions is so powerful. I think people don't realize that if you just took the time to have those conversations, it would revolutionize the way you have to train your players because you now have context. Mm-hmm. That's really good. It's really good. I mean, yeah, like that's, that's like I said, my epiphany when talking to the guy about like who his best coach was and he was thinking about me and thinking about this, like art, right, I, I need to teach you some better skills. Um, man, that's great. Um, I, I would, and I, I believe even people can build the, build that even into a station. They can build it into so many things, their classroom time as well, that yeah. they're going to have, um, just to be able to speak. Uh, and like you said, having those conversations with guys, I love the question earlier that you said about if you were to just to teach me about hitting you're like, you're, you know, how, what the most important aspects of it. I, I think that's a great question. Cause like you said, that's really speaks to, Cause like I could ask that question to like, I know certain coaches that I know if they would tell me like their most important aspects, I could tell you exactly what they would say. So mm-hmm. that's very interesting. And I think, yeah, you would definitely, cause I can get a glimpse into a coach's philosophy just by asking that question. Like I probably get into a player's. And, but everyone just expects the player just to buy into whatever you're teaching. Most of the time it takes you time, like five or 10 times of teaching something to someone, especially a kid before they actually not only understand it, but can apply it. Right. So people get really caught up in the learning development process and the learning curve situation where, hey, it might take this kid six or eight times of you teaching it to him. And this kid over here might only take him once. The kid that you really got to find out how to get to is how do I get to the kid that takes six or eight times for me to teach that concept to? How do I get it to him in two times? You know, but a lot of that's figuring out the context, getting that situation. So that's seriously, it, it'll change your game. And um, the other way I've had uh, a couple of coaches implement it, believe it or not, the high school. Um, I was talking to uh, recently, they just, like I said, in their study hall time, that's what kind of got my mind on it. They just, he said one kid a day during study hall. He just said, Hey, this is your day of the week. You're going to come talk to me. And so over the course of two months, he had like 60 kids in his program, freshman through. And uh, he, he talked to every single kid for about 30 to 45 minutes. Mm. He just established a real relationship with the kid, built rapport, built trust. And now they actually had something in common where he had notes he could refer back to, because obviously it's hard to keep track of all those things. You got to document it. But um he had something he could refer back to and goes, okay, Johnny's struggling with getting to his front side or Johnny's struggling with throwing strikes. Okay. Why would that happen? And then he looks back to the notes. He goes, ah, it's because sometimes he tries to do too much of this, right? Or sometimes he gets way too overwhelmed and tries to put too much pressure on himself. Okay. Well, now you already know that those are the things that go wrong. So there you go. You have your answer. So another really simple question. This is, I'll give you one of these. This is one of my favorite ones to ask players is, I want you to close your eyes, put yourself in a situation, right? It could be on, on, the, on the bump or it can be at the, at the dish. And I want you to think about when you felt your best. The times where when you went to swing the bat or you went to release the ball, it felt like nothing was coming out. It just felt like it was the easiest, loosest thing in the world where you made contact with it and it's like you, you hit the ball, you know you did, but it felt like you didn't even touch it. It just jumped off your bat. So have kids picture that and have them find that scenario and describe it to them. Give them some, some examples and then say, I want you to, in your mind, you're all probably picturing a specific game or a specific at bat where this happened. Talk to me about it. Explain it to me in your words. What did it feel like? What was the situation? Write it, have them write it down. Every single day that the player is training or playing the game, they should be trying to recreate those sensations. They should try to feel what it was like on that day when they felt better than any other day of their career. 
But all too often, kids are not. They don't have any context for what they're trying to achieve that day, right? So having that frame of reference is really what you're creating for them, right? You're saying, okay, this is where I want to get to today. Where am I on the spectrum, right? Maybe here's where I was yesterday. Here's where I'm trying to get to today. Where am I? Am I in between? Am I below? Am I right close to it? But most times they have no reference points. So giving them an understanding of, hey, where is it? Or what is it that I'm trying to feel? And how do I know when it's feeling right? If you're not chasing that, then what are we doing? We're just kind of going after some mythical unicorn of movement or mechanics when the kid already knows what it feels like when it was really good. So why not just have him try to recreate the things that he already knows work for him? What do you do with a kid that can't feel it? Yeah, like it has, a hard, has, a hard, has a hard time, you know, like a lot of guys, like, what do you think when you're up there? You know, like, well, I don't know. Uh, you know, how, how'd they feel? I don't know. Like it, it, I guess creating an awareness, you know, like it's, have you ever, how have you, have you ever experienced anything like that? Oh yeah. Um, I think this is mostly just how I communicate with people, but, um, I've been told I talk to people as if they were kids and I am kind of like a kid in, in an adult body, I guess. But, um, <laughs> I ask the most simple, obvious questions sometimes and they just go, Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I guess what I mean by that is okay. Like, so there's a game that kids always play with you. It's the why game. Dad, what is that? It's a cloud. Why is it there? Well, because it's that's what's in the sky. Precipitation, rain stuff. Okay, why is the sky blue? Uh, well, I don't know. There's the science behind it. What makes it the coloration with everything in the ozone? Why? Like, you just keep getting deeper and deeper and ask that question. Just pretend like you don't know. Mm-hmm. Pretend mm-hmm. as if you have no context to what you're talking about and keep digging, keep digging, keep digging. And before you know it, you're going to get a really good understanding of what they actually think is supposed to happen. It's really, like I said, you're getting to their core beliefs. You're not just trying to attack, um, uh, you know, how am I going to make it better in this drill? You actually are getting an understanding of who they are as a person um, and how their brain ticks. And as soon as you understand how to coach them best, whether it's, you know, what learning style they learn best from, how they like to be communicated with, whether they need a kick in the butt or they need to be coddled, like things like that are so simple. And literally, you can find that out in one 30-minute conversation if you have your, you ever have your conversation structured structured to ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and have a, have a feel for that with your intentions yeah. of just trying to better understand this person and where they're coming from. And like you said, dig down to their core beliefs of what do they believe in hitting and pitching. Are you playing the game? Why are you here? You know, such a such a very valuable. So besides all the movement screening, you're thinking of what you guys do even just from a – I guess, core belief standpoint, you know, like this very important, very valuable. So it's almost like, do you feel like that's the mentality of a player is then more important than their movements? It should be, <laughs> but that doesn't mean the kids always put that first. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, guys always talk to me about the, you know, for example, like a Pat Neshek on the mound and MLB or Hunter Pence or something. Those guys don't always look good. But whatever the heck it is that they have to think and feel, it obviously works for them. They get results, and they've done it for a long period of time at the highest level possible. So you can't tell them that it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You can't tell them that what they feel is wrong, right? Like Alex Rodriguez, Mike Trout, those guys will fight you to the death, right, over the fact that they swung down. But then you look at the biomechanics, and everyone will say, oh, but you're not. You're swinging up. Dude, it doesn't matter. All, they, all that matters is what they had to feel to create the result. There's a huge difference between what needs to happen how the player has to what the player has to do to make it happen right we have to as coaches we have to create a big separation between the two because oftentimes we do say 
oh, well, your back foot's not staying down. It's coming up too early. Okay, well, if you just tell the kid that, maybe he has enough understanding and feel to be able to just understand, okay, I need to put my, my weight back in my back foot longer or harder or heavier or later or sooner. Maybe they understand that. But more often than not, you go, okay, this is what is wrong. So analyze what in the movement is off. How are we going to approach it? All right, now, given the context I have about this player, how he learns, what his beliefs are, what he's trying to accomplish right now, what's his mood like in the moments, right? What was going on in school and context today? All right, given all those environmental scenarios, what's going to be the right cue at the right time for the right duration of time, right, for this athlete in order to get the movement change to happen? Um, and that's why, again, the art of coaching, like in order to elicit the right movements is sometimes so tactical and it's, uh, it has to be so precise. That's why, uh, it can be dangerous, right? Is it's just as much as it can be effective. It can also be just as harmful. Um, so it, anything that is, you spend enough time on, uh, you'll notice that in life, right? Like anything that's worth doing, you have to do it to the max and you have to go really deep in order to come to that surface level realization that it is this simple. Yeah. And that's exactly, that's exactly kind of what you're coming down to is just the, the human interaction to be able to believe. So, and at the end of the day, it's like, here's what we believe. We believe in like getting to your core values and then kind of structuring cues based off of those values. And one, making sure your values are helpful. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure that's what you guys do. You probably steer like, you know, well, I, I think, you know, right. Are you, uh, is there a times where when you get down to that core belief, like, well, I, I think, do you, have you ever been direct and say like, wow, like we're really off here or is it always like a coaching thing of asking questions or prompting to get to a change in a belief? Right. So I think that depends on the individual for sure. Um, I will say the first thing that we tell every kid when we first meet them, it's almost like seriously the second line we tell them, hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. I'm Will. This is your team. Let's start from the get go. And we tell them this, we say, Listen, Ty or Trey, like no matter what happens in our relationship together, we're going to be completely honest and transparent with you in everything we do. If it's not good, we're going to tell you it's not good. If it's good, we're going to tell you it's good. If there's something that needs to be changed, communicate it to them differently. Right. So that's part of that learning process and understanding, okay, this guy might need a little bit more coddled. I can't just directly tell him, hey, dude, this is sucking right now. We got to change this. He might freeze up right? Get a panic attack and now he can't make any changes. So that guy, you might have to kind of go work around, right? Play a little more good cop. There's other guys that were just so stubborn. They need to be told what it is right now, shoot them straight and just get to the point, you know, but no matter what, we literally tell all of our players from the get-go, we are never going to do anything that would purposefully actually try to make you worse or neglect what you're working on. Like we always want to have the most wholesome relationship possible with each and every one of our players, which is again, part of the reason why you just can't train 200 players. It's just it's, yeah. you know, you, you, there's a limit to which you can actually have meaningful interactions with people um, and be effective. So, but I think that's, that's the key, right? Is understanding where they're coming from and how to give them the right thing at the right time. And um, like you said there, like a lot of guys do need the directness, but you just got to find out. And, you know, Leek will tell you, he's not going to mess around with it. Like he is just so, he's from New York and he will just tell you straight up every time. Not every kid receives that well. 
So what we do a lot of times we find out, okay, who's receiving information from him better. Cool. Who's receiving information from him better. Cool. And so they start to kind of gravitate. Most time that happens at school anyways, right? Certain kids gravitate different coaches because of how they communicate with their players. But the great 80 grade coach should effectively be able to communicate with each player on an individual basis. Mm -hmm. Right. You can still speak to the team in the team aspect setting, but um, when you're communicating with the individual, you, you have to kind of understand like you're developing a relationship with them. So you have to have context into um, how they like to be communicated with, how, uh, how do they communicate themselves, right? When they say that they're feeling good, what do they mean by that, right? Like, are they actually feeling good? Or are they just saying that just to kind of make you pleased, you know, make you think that everything's okay. So you kind of got to dig into those questions and understand it a little bit more. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a very good question. I think it happens all too often. Um, it's just a matter of figuring out what's the most effective route to tell them directly what it is that's wrong and how we're going to approach fixing it. Mm-hmm. Very, very valuable. And I, like I said that, and I'm glad you kind of touched on it. There was just the relationship factor in that. And that's just really what it shows to me. It blatantly shows how much one you really, truly trying to develop each kid. Cause you don't just have like, a mess of kids coming through there. You're really purposeful for the kind of guys you get. And then two is just the relationship that if, okay, if we're going to work together, I'm, I'm here for the whole haul. I'm here for the full, like you said, wholesome, um, total development package, not just an hour a week and see you next week. That really comes through, man. That really comes through pretty hard. You know, it's pretty awesome. That's what almost all coaches want, right? That's what they're trying to create. Um, but something's missing in the formula a lot of times I find, and it's just, you know, if you were going to have an awesome weekend with your buddies somewhere, like you'd want to talk to each of your guys, you want to spend quality time with them. That's all your players want to do. They want to spend quality time with you. They want to get to know you. They want to trust you. They want to respect you. They want you to be their role model, mm-hmm. but you have to be vulnerable enough to and open enough sometimes to be able to show them a piece of you. Right. And, and be willing and open enough to listen to them. Right, truly listen and respond so that they can actually start to build some of that trust rather than just being like, oh, well, that's, you know, Joe Schmo coach over there. And he doesn't think about anything that I, or doesn't care about what I think or what works for me. He's just telling me the same credit over and over again. It's not working for me, you know, but at the end of the day, there's nothing any coach has ever told you that is wrong or intentionally trying to make you worse. It's just that coach might've said something that worked for him and it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you. Yeah, especially in the in the context that it might have been, for sure. Oh man, I I mean I just go. It's uh man, just just a lot of great great nuggets there. Just about creating that trust and the relationships. Um, oh man, that's so good, so good. Well, I can't believe it. it's funny. I had no I had no intentions of kind of going this way. It kind of surprises me, you know, like how we're here and and we're touching my this this it's great man and i think it's so and i honestly like looking back for some of my coaching buddies you know running a program things like that is a matter of where do you find the time and i love like you said that you found the coach it's found the study hall time i know sheets does like when they're stretching he kind of makes his ways around while they're stretching and his it's always his goal to kind of give everybody a touch and you know just kind of check in um you know, so I, I think it is, it's a matter of being creative and finding that time to do it. Have you, have you heard anybody else to kind of say, okay, here's where I got creative um, and kind of was able to touch base with these guys? Yeah, I know uh, Jeff Sherman at Marcus, one thing that he does quite a bit is they'll have in their study hall time, everyone has to bring video from the previous day, right? So sometimes they're taking themselves, sometimes it's one of the um, 
uh, one of the assistants or something like that, taking video and they'll just go in there and say, Hey man, like break it down for us. And just everyone's open. Everyone's vulnerable. Like there's no, there's no judgment whatsoever. It's just like, talk us through what you think was working. What's not, let's just, let's talk it out. And then they just have a dialogue. So it's one guy each day that's kind of going through that. And he puts it more on the public platform setting where all of the team is involved in this conversation with this one guy's kind of put on the spot to have to talk about it. Um, and it's awkward at first, right? It's like going to a Bible study or something for the first time and you're getting asked to speak. You're like, Oh, I don't know what I want to lead prayers like that. Right. You feel weird about it. And all the kids feel weird about it at first, but once you get in a groove and you feel comfortable, like they'll be more comfortable talking about it. And they should be Think about this. They should be more comfortable talking about that stuff with their teammates and their coaches than anyone else. Yeah. Yet, oftentimes those are the least or the people they least want to talk to it about. They feel like they're being judged. They feel like someone's going to think that they're wrong. They feel like someone's like going to degrade or think different of them for what they thought or for what they were doing. Right. So it's a, it's a terrible, uh, not, it's not even a fault, but it's just a terrible reality is that that's just kind of how the system's been put together. And I think that's just the culture. Um, obviously that can, uh, foster a lot of development, a lot of winning culture, right. Because people have to step up their game. Um, there's an expectation that needs to be met, but at the same time, like there has to be some kind of openness, some kind of vulnerability to be able to say like, Hey dude, like everyone here is like humble. Like there's, there's no, there's no guards. No one's here is going to judge you. Like, let's just have a real conversation. Um, and I think something like that is so in, it's so easy to institute. It's just like anything else in the relationship you guys have had, things boil up over time. Nothing happens all at once. Right. So yeah, you didn't open your car door for your girlfriend and then you didn't put the dishes away in the sink, or you left dishes in the sink. Then you didn't, uh, uh, you didn't, you didn't empty the dish or, or the, the laundry machine. And then all of a sudden it was something like, uh, you didn't, you didn't say please, you know, when, when, when you ask for something and she blows up, it's like, well, what happened? Oh, I did. I did. I'm sorry. I didn't say please. I'm sorry. But it wasn't the please that got you in trouble. It was all the things that built up to that. So same thing happens here where it's like, if you don't develop those good relationships from the beginning with your players, guess what? It's a, it's over time. These things happen, right? So not only over time do the good stuff start to grow and start to blossom. So let's say by the end of year one or year two, if everyone's on the same page and you've had real meaningful relationships with them, guess what happens to that new freshman class that's coming in? They're going to have four full years of that, you know? So although the senior class and junior class right now might not have those four full years, they're probably still going to get a lot of that out of, the, out of those relationships, right? And they're going to have someone they can come back to you. They'll trust you. They'll want to come back and visit you at school, you know? So same thing happens. Good happens over long periods of time and consistency, doing it consistently. Um, but also this, the, the negative can be the same way right? Um, everything's a pattern of habit. And it's just a matter of figuring out, Hey, you have to constantly evaluate your system and understand like, what could I do better in our system? And it doesn't matter if it's your bunt defense system, or if it's like how I get to know my players, but how can I constantly evolve my system so that I can make every player have the best experience possible and help the team win as many games as possible. No, I got to write that down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so I got to ask then, I got to ask then, how have you evaluated your system? I guess that's one thing I'd like to know, especially as your development has changed and progressed. Uh, how are you evaluating your system and how has it become better? Yeah, I think uh, this is something you guys should all establish with your coaches and peers, but um, Eugene does such an amazing job because we're so open and transparent and honest with each other. Um, it doesn't matter what the context of the situation is. If there's something that we don't like in what each other are doing, we just say it as uncomfortable as it might be for someone like me, who I'm always Mr. Nice Guy, like, I just, you have to say it, you have to tell them. 
Because at the end of the day, it's like, if I don't tell you, Trey, that, hey, I think that what you're doing is wrong. I think you're coaching the wrong moments, or I think you should go about your program differently here. Then you're honestly, you're telling them that you don't care. Right. So I'd rather someone give me feedback and tell my, my, my assistant coach that, Hey man, I think you should be doing this differently. And obviously you need to approach the conversation differently on depending on the guy and your relationship with them. But if you don't give them the honest feedback and try to tell them that, Hey, I think we need to change the system to do something differently here. then you're telling them that you don't care. You're telling them that you'd rather them just keep doing it their way that they're doing it and keep either making players worse or not making their program better. You know? So I think from a peer standpoint, that's how you do it. Um, personally, Uh, I'm a very um, critical person. I'm an analytical mind. Um, so I'm always, uh, and, and I'm also, um, uh, I guess I'm utopian mind. Right? Like I'm always like an idealist. Um, I'm what they call like the realist idealist, right? So like I, I live in Candyland a lot of the times, right? I'm always looking for how do I make this perfect? And I go, okay, now practically, how would how does that actually happen? Is that real? No, okay, what is real? How do I make it, how do I make it functional? So um, I take a bunch of notes down in my notes pages. Seriously, every day I've got a full, you know, essay practically written out. Um, but I'm always, I'm always adapting the system based on um, an individual that I got a nugget from. Um, or if I've seen, you know, every month or two, I take a, take a step back and I do evaluations with all the players again. So we kind of do a checkup and say, okay, where were you at? Where are you now? What did we do that works? What stuff did we do that didn't work? Okay. Why did you not make these gains? Was it something I did? Was it something you didn't do? Let's, let's talk it out. And so the more you can constantly get that's in that rhythm of reevaluating yourself and your system, it becomes easy. Um, mm -hmm. And there's no pride involved in it. Right. It's literally just going like, okay, cool. All right. Well that didn't work. How else should I do it? You know, like, again, don't get attached to cues. Don't get a cat attached to certain fields. I know we all have this way that we were taught on how to swing on how to throw whatever it might be. And you love that way because it worked for you is important to you. That doesn't mean that your kids love that way you teach it. And mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that it doesn't, that it works for them. So if it's not working for them or they don't love it, then we personally as coaches, we can't be too attached to those systems. Now that is what we know best. So it might be the best way for us to coach it and best way for us to communicate with them to try to get them to elicit those movements. However, if the kid is not understanding the movement or isn't understanding what you're trying to get them to accomplish, you need to find another way to communicate it to them and not be judgmental against uh, saying something you don't believe in because it works for the kid. If it works for the kid, it's right. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, The objective, big objective for coaches, we need to get the kids real on-field results. So if it works and it keeps the kid healthy and it gets some results on the field, let's do it. You know, the jungle. So, the jungle, baby. I'm going to zoo. Got, that's right. It's got to right. happen in the jungle. It's got to happen in the jungle. Sherman gets two. Sherman's already got two shout-outs. There are two shout-outs for the shirt. <laughs> that's right. No, I agree, man. That's what it is. It's what it comes down to, man, buddy. Absolutely. Like, what are we doing? And th that even comes back to what you were saying about being their best coach. Like, why? Because that's what's going to happen in the game. Like, that's what's going to allow you to get better results in the game. That's what it's got to come back to. It's got to be, like you said, the forefront, big objective. What works? How can we get the best results on the field in the game? Yeah. My question, too, about the system, that's why you were saying about, about like, Um, I guess the data that you would use to, you know, as you were saying, to see growth, like what are the big parts of data? Like when you're working with a guy, like, what are you tracking? What are you tracking? Is it based on the individual, certain things that you found that like, that will, will give you uh, data to show pro progress? Yeah. I mean, all, all data is just feedback, right? And just the same way when you go hit on the field um, or you're throwing a bullpen, let's say you're hitting on the field, 
your feedback is, hey, that one sounded good or that one went further. <laughs> you know, that one didn't have as much hang time. That one went out to the wall. The other one didn't. On the mound, it might be in the bullpen. You might not even have a radar gun, but you might go, oh man, the catcher said that one had some heat on it. That one was heavy. Or that one really made his glove pop. That's feedback. All that we're doing with technology now is we're putting numbers to the things that you already know were right. And so this is why Blake preaches so much and why we're on the train of like, it's not old school versus new school. It shouldn't be. We're trying to bridge the gap between the two and help people understand that the old school coaches were probably right. They've been doing it for a long time and they were able to get players to be better without the data, right? So with all of that extra information, if they know that this worked, then how can we use what they knew and just use the data to validate it? Just give it more context, just give it more credibility. Um, some of the players would need that, right? To get some buy-in. Um, but at the end of the day, all numbers are useful. It's all feedback. But if you get, like anything, you get too caught up in the wrong things and you're not focused on the right things that are actually going to help you get results, then the data is meaningless. You can get all the data in the world, but if it doesn't help you apply, if you can't apply it to help you get better in-game results, then what's the point of using the data? So there's obviously like metrics and everything, whether it's biomechanics or you got, uh, you know, if you, if you don't have a lab, you got a rap soda, you got a hit tracks, you got a blast motion, whatever it is. Like there's obviously like good numbers you can use in all of them, but you need context behind it. So um, yeah, that's another topic. Unfortunately, that'd probably take us another six hours to get through. But um, if we want to dive into each of those, but I think with anything like trust your eye, trust your gut, right? Like if you watch it, the swing, and you're like, man, is that going to play on a field? Is that going to play when a pitcher's throwing 90 miles an hour at him? Is he going to work in the game? If it's not going to work in the game, then probably something needs to be changed. Or you need to make the drill or the scenario you're in right now more game-like and see if it does play or not. See how they adapt. Because oftentimes in the training mode, the player's in a completely different headspace than mm -hmm. they are when they're in game mode. So the more you can put them in game mode, but in the zoo, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to give them the opportunity to try to train what they're trying to elicit when they actually get into the jungle mode. Speak, speaking of that, so like, has, 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 your, has your training changed any more to be more like the jungle? Like, so it's like, are, are your kids failing more now? Is that something that's kind of changed? I know I just talked to Matt Lyle, you know, talking to Sherm, you just hear these big kid and guy, like, I think that's where hitting even the Astros made it famous too. You know, guys are breaking bats during BP and, you know, they got the hack attacks up and they're just getting sawed off during practice. Is that something that you have modeled as well? Um, in a way, but I think like our core principle is just like, swinging a bat or throwing a ball is an exercise, right? Just as much as doing a squat in a weight room is an exercise. So if you go in a weight room and you squat like crap, it doesn't matter if you got hundred pounds on or 300 pounds on, you're probably not going to feel very good and you're not going to move it very efficiently, right? Cause you're doing a good squat form. So the first thing is to move cleanly, move efficiently. You have to get a good squat pattern before you can add load. So a lot of people want to go in there and they want to start making it super competitive, super game-like, which yes, is the end goal. But if you have a really, if, if throwing or hitting is an exercise and your form, right, is not good in that exercise, then how can you expect yourself to add load to the exercise, right, and still move cleanly? It's not going to work. So just like if you can barely lift up 150 pounds on a squat, right, really cleanly and move, move well, you wouldn't add 150 pounds. You wouldn't go and say, okay, I'm going to try to pick up 300. No, you wouldn't. That doesn't make any sense. You shouldn't be doing that in the game or in the training scenarios, either on the hitting and throwing side. So Yes, all those things with context are definitely very valuable and good. But at the end of the day, it should be like an, an exercise in the weight room. If, if you wouldn't let the kid move like that um, in the weight room because it's not good form, then why are you letting them move like that uh, on the mound or at the plate? Right. So 
everything with us is with everything has context. Everything's got a lot more depth to it. I think than people think, but you have to understand that if the player is not moving well, you need to get them to move well. Competing is very important, right? And you, we could have the culture talk and competition talk and winning all day. Um, but at some point, everyone has some kind of threshold. They have a barrier they're going to, they're going to bump against and they're not going to be able to get past it. Um, if they're not able to move cleanly, move efficiently. So the more oftentimes you can find out what is the best scenario, best environment to get them to move cleaner. Okay. Let's keep them moving clean. Now let's just attack game competition mode. But if they've got nothing to go off of and say, this is the movement I'm trying to chase, or this is the feeling I'm going after. You can do all the in-game competition, like scenarios you want. It's not going to make them move any better because you're just putting up against the challenge that they can't face. They're not prepared mm-hmm. to face yet. So all that stuff is good, but context. Sure. No, you can't. Uh, you can't just throw a guy into a very high pass, high comp- competitive and game like Moto. He's just not ready for it. You can't beat him down all the time either. Right. Um, Some hitters are gonna be ready. But he to- said it's it's like that. It's like this. Why you know it can't be yeah. here. It can't be here. It's somewhere in the middle, right? Like some hitters can be ready to to blend their movements or their feels from T to BP or to toss to BP and then go to machine and then go to a live pitcher. And other guys are gonna need a lot more time on toss or maybe a lot more time on BP. Or maybe they can't hit the machine to save their lives and they got to skip the machine and go straight to a live pitcher. It's just getting context, right? There's nothing wrong with saying, okay, this kid doesn't like tea or this kid doesn't like machine. Okay. Well, if the stuff that is working for you and you do like, let's do more of that instead of doing the other one. So same thing with throwing drills. You don't have to do all the drills, find out what drills work best for you and do more of those. Right. So I talk to kids about it. Like it's flavor of ice cream. You go into the Froyo place and you try all these flavors Okay, well, if there's only two flavors you like, are you just going to keep getting samples of all the other flavors? No, just get the two flavors you really wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have more of the ones that you like better because that's going to make you happier and it's going to obviously going to give you better results more often than not. So it's it's a simple analogy, but it's like, dude, just do it. It makes the most sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Be logical. There's no there's no regimented program that was that's going to work for you because guess what? It's not individualized for you. <laughs> so... It's it, 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 the biggest thing Bleak always says is if, if we make sense, then we're doing something right. If it doesn't make sense, then we need to reevaluate what we're doing. If it's not going to transfer, then why the hell are we doing? Oh, yeah. It's not going to work out there. It's not going to get our game results and we'll be doing. Right. <clears throat> no, that's great. It's great, Will. Um, so, Will, I love I always love the movement. Uh, I, I've, I've never liked the word mechanics and I love the word move um, movements over mechanics. Yeah. Um when you look at a mover, you know, and what you see, is it all strictly, is it, is it, you, will you put the K vest on them? Will you just look at them or will you just take what they believe they're doing move and try to get them, uh, I guess, uh, get them in a better position or just try to help them what they perceive what they need to do. Yeah, I think it's a mixture of all of them. It depends on the, on the situation. First time working with an athlete, it's always good to get baseline numbers just to see kind of where you're coming from. Um, but most time we won't throw specific metrics on like that um, after that, right? So it's not something we have to test all the time. Sometimes you can reevaluate it. Um, but it's just, you know, one of those things you have to constantly upkeep. Um, I would say uh, more often than not, uh, we will go to principles, concepts, um, and big picture ideas first, before we start getting into nitty gritty, like cues, thoughts, feels, changing the drill, stuff like that. It's like, Amy, do you understand that the moment in time you need to create the most force is that contact. But yet when you swing, you try to create all this force when you, right before you even get to landing, it's like, you're trying to create all the energy before you even deliver the punch. <laughs> and they go, 
oh, yeah, I guess it would make more, way more sense to try to swing the hardest at the end. Okay, try that. Try I that. Have, I don't have to talk about mechanics at all. I just got to help mm-hmm. them understand that, hey, dude, like, we're trying to put energy into the ball at the wrong moment in time. Yeah. So the more you stay big principle and concept like that, again, you're kind of avoiding the because uh, think about this if mechanics don't make perfect sense in your head and you don't feel like you have a great understanding of it and we as coaches are studying this stuff all the time how the hell do you think it's going to make sense in a 12 year old's head or a 14 year old's head who's worried about girls and and uh and you know making paper airplanes in class like he's not going to have one freaking clue what you're talking about it's not gonna make any sense to him so the more often that you can give him just as high level as possible um keep it things as simple as you can but it has to make sense to him if they don't, if you don't get the point across, then you're not doing your job effectively enough, right? You need to find a way to communicate with them on their level, you know? So yes, we as coaches have to expect people to rise to the occasion, but at the same time, if you can't communicate with them with where they're at right now, how the heck you can get them to get where they need to be. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Well, uh, I mean, just, uh, just for the fact of, yeah, I mean, the communication piece that you have to be able to have and have the, the, very, very precise, quick questions specifically yeah. for that person. I mean, it, you almost show that what what you do is very tough, very tough to do. And I think that's why you're, you're so successful at it and have such a great reputation because it's, it is, it's very, and it's, it's true. It's almost authentic, you know, like, and I love, I always love like one of your favorite words I've, since I've, we've talked had a couple is like, try that. Good. Let's do that. Like, it's just like, this is great. <laughs> that's good. Uh, try that. Let's, let's do it. I'm like, oh, it's just, it's just, but it's, it's simple. Like you said, it, it works. Uh, it makes sense. And again, I, I tell people all the time, we, no one knows all the answers to anything. So just tell your players, like, if you don't know what the answer is, you try to drill and it didn't work. Say, Hey man, I thought that would work. It didn't work. So what? Like, let's try something else. Just be humble about it. Be vulnerable. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to be the big macho guy and say, oh, well, you're just not doing it right. You're not doing it well. Okay. Like you could put all the faults on the kid, but at some point you either didn't communicate it well enough. You didn't, you didn't get the player to understand the concepts well enough. And for somehow you haven't created the environment well enough for him to be able to execute the new movement in the way you want it to. So it's as much on you as it is on them. So, uh, Seriously, like there, there's some, there has to be some level like, hey, dude, let's, let's come when it comes down to it. This is a person. They may not be an adult always, right? Who can think really at a high level and be able to have a high level of communication with you, but they're another person. So just connect with that person. Try to get them to understand it. You know, just like if you're talking to your grandma and she has no idea how to get on the internet. Well, guess what? You're going to have to talk to her like she's a five-year-old. Well, I guess maybe a three-year-old nowadays, five-year-olds can get on the internet, no problem, but you know, talk to her like she's a three-year-old and kind of walk her through step-by-step, step, help her to understand it. Because if you don't take the time to help her understand it, then tomorrow she's going to call you back and say, hey, how do you get back on Facebook again? You're going to be doing the exact same thing you did yesterday. Right, so right. why not just take the time to build those relationships, establish the right principles and the right context from the get-go. And like you said, like it's, it's not even, um, I, it really makes me wonder when people say something, like you said, like, you know, it's authentic, it's real, it's genuine. It's like, well, are, are other people not trying to be authentic, real, or genuine? You're trying to create something fake or trying to modify something. Like, it's okay to be honest and say, hey, I don't have all the answers. It's okay to be honest and say, like, hey, man, like, I don't know what to do in this situation, but let's figure it out together. Mm-hmm. And you will be amazed how much your players will love you for that because they know that it's like, okay, this guy's on my team. He's working with me. 
Right? He's not working against me. This dude wants to help me get in. He wants to get in the trenches with me, and he wants to help me fight this battle. Mm-hmm. That's what every player wants. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I don't think that's the. I think it's trending that way. I think uh, I say I think the good coaches are adapting to that kind of newer type of player as well. You know where, um, and the new t- that that's it's. I think it's going there. You know, I think I do. The more you think about it, the more guys are. They are more vulnerable. You know, it's not the Maui Highway. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, I think we're definitely getting there. Um, Dag, buddy, this has been awesome. Um, I, I guess I, one thing's been. Uh, I'm thinking about is just I'd like to just see what get into your beliefs here um, is thinking about red flags. You know, when you look at a mover and you see them, you know, digging into your personal beliefs and your core values of like looking at a move and let's say a hitter right now, we'll do hitter and pitcher right now hitting. Is there any red flag? Cause you talked about like a certain ceiling when you get to like, maybe they can move right now through why they're 12 but like high school that's not going to play or yep this works in high school but college that's not going to play like what are kind of the red flags that you see when you're moving from yeah um so again probably one of those conversations if we really wanted to dig in we'd have to take a couple hours but that's part of like what we've tried to build out on all of our courses and stuff like that on our membership platform is just that like give people understanding like where the energy leaks big positions like that guys need to get into and then biggest concept is guys need to understand that when you're evaluating how someone's moving you need to be as objective as possible so rather than looking for nitpicky little things and saying oh but his foot's doing this or his hand's not where he needs to be here okay those are cool those are the landmarks you saw something there that was telling you some kind of feedback either okay this isn't where it should have been or it didn't happen the way i want it to okay now play the little kid game why why did that happen trace it back okay now that happened because of this happened okay well why was that happening well let's say he was he was um I don't know, example, let's let's say he, he he was late getting to the ball or something like that, right? So he, let me get my little mini bat here. So it's like he got to landing and you see like at contact, his hands are kind of stuck like this. Can't get his barrel to the ball. It's like, okay, well, he didn't throw his hands well enough or he didn't get his barrel delivered well enough. Okay, well, why? Sure, I agree with you. I agree with you. That didn't happen. So why didn't that happen? Oh, well, I guess maybe he didn't he didn't turn hard enough or he turned too early, whatever, whatever your your interpretation of it is. Remember, none of these things are right or wrong. It's just, what's your interpretation? What did you see? Okay, so he turned too early or didn't turn hard enough. Okay, well, why did he turn too early or why didn't he turn hard enough? Oh, well, I guess when you look at it, I guess he, you know, he didn't get in, he wasn't strong on his front side when he started the turn. Okay, that's good to know. All right, so now we're kind of tracing back. Now we're saying maybe he wasn't strong, heavy enough into his front side to be able to stop so that he could turn, right? Or maybe that's why he started turning before he landed, right? Before he was strong on his front side. Cool. Well, why did that happen? Oh, well, I don't know. Why didn't he get to his front side? Well, maybe it's because he was stuck on his backside. Maybe when he loaded, he had a big negative move, <laughs> right? So mm-hmm. now when he went to go forward, he was too late to get to the ball, right? Like there's there's a million scenarios for why this kind of stuff can happen. Um, and so I think as a coach, if you just keep asking the why question, and you keep tracing it back, eventually you're going to find out like, hey, man, like in his rhythm, he was really tight with his top hand. And he was trying to like create this crazy rhythm. And then he got stuck on his backside when he should have already been ready to get his gather step to be able to move into landing. It's like, okay. Like that's why the big old school coaches will talk about, Hey, it's just time. Hitting is time. Right. Just throw your hands in the ball. They, they went through all those rabbit holes. They did, they, they did all those things and they boiled it down to this simple thing. of like, it's just one very simple feel, throw your hands in the ball, swing down. Um, 
you know, get, get your arms extended. It, it doesn't matter what you think the feel is or what works and makes sense in your head. It's just everyone came down to that conclusion because they went all these different routes. They saw it from all these different perspectives. And then they realized, okay, in my head, it makes most sense and it's most simple in this context. But if you don't give everyone else that you're coaching that context, then guess what? The one little simple cue doesn't mean anything to them. Sure. That little cue only means something to you because you had the context behind it. So um, I would say as far as like, I'll give you like conceptual things. And this is some of the easiest ones that you can talk to players about is when do you create, when do you need to create the most force into the ball? I talked about that one earlier. Mm-hmm. It should be a contact mm-hmm. or in throwing, it needs to be at release. Okay. Yeah. So when, when do you think we need to create the most force in the ground with our back leg? As people start talking like, Oh, what about, you know, ground reaction force and force plates stuff like that. Okay. Well, think about it. If you're going to punch someone in the chest, right. Would it make sense to me to push and then try to punch them? Or would it make sense like whenever I want to rotate, that's probably when I push into the ground. Makes sense, right? So it's it just be logical about it. Always like use a punch, use a um, use bowling, use anything that makes sense to you uh, from from an objective standpoint. Take the context away from baseball. Um, so I, I tell people all the time, I will take videos of whether it's my ten year olds or my pro guys, and I'll show it to my parents. Who my mom is a ballet dancer, my dad is a rugby player. They know nothing about baseball. Okay. And I'll show them. I'll just say, hey, what do you see? And like, well, his front arm looks kind of funny, or doesn't look like he's throwing very hard, or that one looks kind of smooth. That one looks kind of ugly. Okay, why? They don't know why. They can't break it down and tell you specifically what happened, but they have such a big picture lens, they're able to step back and go, that looks right or it doesn't. Yeah. They don't have to have any experience to know why it's right or why it's wrong. So if you can start there, start as big picture as possible. And start going, okay, here's something that's sticking out to me. Why is it sticking out? Trace it back to find the root cause. That's when you start getting good uh, that's good feedback loops, right? You're going to start actually asking the right questions to players um, instead of kind of just blinding, blindly giving the same drills or saying the same cues over and over again. Um, get to the point and understand like whether or not the player understands the concept. So, you know, with the back leg, it's like, hey, the moment in time when you need to put the most force in the ground in your back leg is probably right before you're landing or as you're landing. Right? Yeah. It wouldn't make sense for you to try to yeah. put a bunch of force and then move down the mound, right? You're not going to have any, you're not going to be able to use any of that force. It's already gone. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where old school coaches talk about stay back. That's what they're talking about. But because only everyone only understands the, the boiled down version of it, which is stay back, there's a million ways to interpret what, what someone means by stay back, right? Some guys are going to keep their weight on their back leg. Some guys are going to get into more of a hinge. Some guys are going to coil, right? Some guys are going to lean back. Oh, because you told them to stay back. Same mm-hmm. thing on the mound, right? So it's not that any of the cues are right or wrong. It's just a matter of like, okay, how did that player interpret that cue? And if they didn't interpret the way you want them to, then you need to go back to the concept. So you just said that. I said, if the player, what? Say that again, please. If that player did not interpret that cue the way you wanted them to, right? Basically, like you gave them a cue and it didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't bring about the right movement, right? It mm-hmm. didn't change the way for a positive way that you wanted it to, then you probably need to go back to the concept or the principle. The movement principle it's like okay well like you understand that like in order to get uh and get good tension into the ball or to create energy with direction towards home plate or towards the middle of the field that you have to stop or that you have to have to stay anchored and you have to find a way to get rotation across your body like there's i, I know some of these may be kind of over people's heads a little bit because they haven't have context of like how we teach things in our courses and stuff but right, um, right. you know at the end of the day it doesn't matter if you want to teach things that we teach um, and talk about things that using our language or our lingo, or if you have your own language and lingo that you believe in. 
it's great. Find a way to document it all. doesn't matter if it's on paper or it's verbal or if it's a, a video that you make, but just have a conversation with someone who, you know, you could tell your everything you believe about coaching or everything you believe about mechanics or something and just put it all out just spew for a while and then try to organize it in the way we go. Okay. Like that's what I believe. Am I effectively coaching my players that information? Do they understand where I'm coming from? And are they on the same page? Cause if they're not, you can spew little nuggets here and there, but if they don't have the core beliefs and core principles that you believe are important and you're just getting them little things here and there, that's why it takes them three or four years before they actually get to the point where they understand what you're talking about and they can do what you want them to do. So the best coaches are oftentimes the best communicators. They can effectively get the information to the player, but not just get it to the player, get the player to understand it and be able to apply it. Mm -hmm. So during that, so speaking of that, and you talking about them knowing what you believe. Mm -hmm. So part of that evaluation process, do you also say, here's what I believe and here's what we feel are like the concepts and principles of hitting? So every single player, um, before we even do that, sit down with them and get to know them and get to get kind of deep with them. They go through all of our coursework. Um, they go through the mentorship, they go through a bunch of drill work, and then we will give them um, some time to kind of like digest it all, write down, take questions. And then we have a talk about, Hey, what things made sense to you? What do you have questions on? Like, so it might be one of those days for coaches at school, you know, some coaches are using our courses and just showing them to all their kids, right. To get them on the same page. And I went the same lingo. But you might be a coach who just says, okay, like I know what I preach and I want to preach it my way. Cool. All right. We'll have a couple days or a week at the end of the season. Well, you just go through that whole thing. You might have to create some presentations. You might just wrote it, write it down on a note card or a piece of toilet paper for all I care, you know, but write it out and explain it to everyone and just ask them, hey, so who doesn't understand this concept? And no one's ever going to stand up and say it. So create interactive games, right? Have competitions. Like it doesn't have to be a test. No one, no kids wants to take more tests, but you know, make it a dialogue, make it a conversation and see if people are on the same page. As soon as they understand it and they hear what you're saying, it's starting to, the, the, the gears are starting to turn, right? The pistons are starting to pump. Now you're creating a machine. You're creating players who can actually think for themselves and they understand where you're coming from rather than you trying to drag them along the whole time. That's what most coaches careers feels like. They're dragging their players along behind them. Um, it's like, realistically, what you should do, you should be giving them the right tools, get them on the same page and now they should be pulling the carriage. Mm. You should be in the buggy behind. And so I think uh, I think people are just putting the wrong things first. They're trying to focus on stuff that's not going to get them there in the long run, even though the stuff they're focusing on is important. If you focus on the player first and understanding them, you're going to get them to be the ones that are the mush dogs or you know pulling everyone ahead. So it's uh, they will run with it. It'll be their ownership of their developments and their team, not your team. Mm. Come full circle, man. We started there and now we're uh... What's well, a great, good place to end too, man. Good and coming to full circle and doing those things, man. That's, that's pretty incredible, man. Like just be basically ended up with being a, your own coach, giving the kids ownership and doing all those things by creating, creating a relationship. And I think what you said though, too, is, is there, that's a, that's definitely a humble person. That's definitely a person that doesn't have an ego. That's able to say, serve. Look, I'm going to serve my players. Yeah. That's, that's what it has to be. Right. Like if you, if you really care about someone, again, doesn't matter if it's your grandma or your wife, or your daughter, no matter what it is, like think about how you would have that conversation with them. If you really, if it was really that important that they understood it or they needed to know how to do something and you're going to teach them to do it the right way, if you approach every single one of your players with that level of care and attention to detail. Like I promise there's no way. Well, there's obviously a way always, so always a way, but there's, 
there's very small likelihood that you're going to see some big disconnects, right? You're going to see a lot more positive come out of that than negative. So um, it's a hard thing. Everyone says they love their players and they're committed to their players, but it's a very hard thing to be fully invested in them and make them your kids, your children, your, your family. Um, so we talk about it at 108 all the time. Like this is the 108 family, whether you're part of our players or part of our coaches, a, a mentorship program, like it's every single person that's in there. We want to have a real relationship with you. We want to hear from you. We want to talk. We want to hear about your problems. Um, we want to help problem solve with people because every experience that I have is going to help make me a better coach. Right. And every experience they have is hopefully they're learning something from the other people around them and, and hopefully something from me. Hopefully I don't just view a bunch of rubbish every once in a while, you know, like, mm -hmm. so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, everyone's on a learning process. And the more you just realize like, Hey, just find people that you want to be in it together with all the time. Right. Like just do that. Just do that. There it is. Just do that. <laughs> do it. And Try that. It. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds simple until you go to apply it, right? You have to really yeah. make sure that your beliefs and where your head is at is in the right place too. So sometimes we're, uh, we're caught in our own egos or caught in our own pride. And, um, and it's a hard thing to do because again, sometimes these big changes, it can cost someone their job, right? Sure. They don't have a good season or uh, a player doesn't develop the way they want it to because you're, everyone starts at different levels. You might not have ever tried to develop players before. So if you dive into it, guess what? You're probably not going to start at a level six out of 10. You're probably going to start down here on the realm of uh, uh, down here on the rungs. So it just, you know, you got to understand that, you know, just like you can't go in a weight room to say, I'm going to be a big, strong weightlifter. I'm going to start lifting 500 pounds. No, nope. you got to start with the little weights and slowly work your way up. That's, that's how life works, unfortunately. So the more you can be humble about that and just and like be honest with people about where you're at and where you're at in your learning curve and development stages of being a coach or being a dad or being a parent or a boyfriend, no matter what it is, like just be honest about it. And you're probably gonna feel way better about yourself because you don't have to make lies about it. Like you can just, you can be transparent with people and be okay with that. They'll accept you for who you are way more than if you try to create this facade of someone you're not. Mm. Love it. Love it. Well, um, this has been incredible, man. Like uh, people want to learn more, look at checking, uh, one, check out 108. What's the best way to maybe check out some 108 stuff and check out, maybe uh, reach out to you for anything else, man. Yeah, absolutely. So if you guys want to check out the website, um, you can check out all of our courses, uh, Eugene's book, Old School versus New School, um, the mentorship program, that's all 108pa.com. And then uh, if you guys want to follow us on uh, Instagram or Twitter, um, find us on our Facebook page, we'll give it a like, uh, I believe it's all 108 underscore performance. Um, if you guys want to find me and contact me directly, um, you can always send us an email at 108 or 108 at 108 performanceacademy.com. So I know it's a long one. Um, or you can email me directly at wmarshall at 108performanceacademy.com. Um, if you want to find me on Twitter, uh, Willie Marsh, I think it's Willie Marsh 108. I believe that's, that's terrible. I don't know what it is, but I don't follow it all that much. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, always happy to talk with anyone. Um, seriously, every, every chance you get to have a conversation with someone is an opportunity to grow with them. So, um, I, I love hearing everyone's perspectives and anyone who wants to have a real conversation. I'm always down for it. Yeah, I can, I can attest to that, man. I can fully agree with there, man. You just love having conversations and I'm mean, tell you what, after having 200 text messages and you're still texting me back, man, I really appreciate you, buddy. <laughs> I really <laughs> appreciate just, you. That's that you get used to it. That's just kind of becomes part of it. Right. You started at five pounds. Now you're at 500 pounds. Like you, 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 it grows. You just get, you get accustomed to it. That's wild, man. I really appreciate you giving me some time, man. And this is always a pleasure and 
that I, I can't wait to our next conversation. You know, like That's you said, there's a couple, there's a couple things I wonder. You're like, well, I think that might be like a six hour time. So <laughs> we're gonna dive into this. We need a little more time. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we didn't, we didn't get to dive into movement a whole lot today. So uh, I know, right? To talk movement, I'm sure we can do another something thing too, Trey, where we can talk more movement specific stuff. But anyone yeah, wants to dive more movement stuff, we've got tons of stuff on. Uh, on social media, if you're looking for something like that, and if you want to dive into our coursework, you can do that as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a there's a whole lot in this can of worms to unravel. It's just there is, I, and honestly, that's what going. and that's what the book the book did, man. The book just just it does it unravels it all, and you're starting to dig, go down here and go down here, and you definitely look at everyone just a little bit different after reading the book, and um, you know, so yeah, the, all the coursework, and then. Um, I've had the opportunity to talk to Matt Swope too, and just how different he makes you think and, uh, and looks and, and just, and following all you guys do, it just, it does, you do you just start looking at movement, the person, I would say the person more. Yeah. So, absolutely. 100%. Really phenomenal, man. I, I can't thank you enough, brother. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Always great talking with you, Trey. Willie Marshall from 108 Performance. Please go check them out, www.108pa.com. Check into their courses. Check into their coursework. Just follow them on Twitter. Just follow them. Follow them on Instagram. And um, get the old school versus new school book. Um, highly recommended. Like I told Willie, it's probably the most uh, written-in book, earmarked book, baseball book that I have just very thought-provoking. And it's not, a, it's not about separating old school versus new school it's not anything like that it's about bridging the gap it's about taking what the old school guys and you hear it in the conversation you talk about those old school guys had it right in it and how they simplified it and getting to that point and it's just about how the new school validates it the new school validates it with the data and then how we can merge it together with the those old school fields and that's where the that's where the money is at because it's not one way it's not all the other it's no way it's never the extreme it's never the extreme it's a great even lesson for our whole world to know. Can't wait. There's no way we can be an extreme. It's got to lie somewhere in the middle and taking bits and pieces of it from everywhere. So um, great lessons to learn, Willie. Um, again, loving the conversation. It wasn't anything that we thought it would be. Uh, truly authentic conversation. It was just us talking and uh, no agenda. Not that I ever do, but typically sometimes the topics kind of stay on what we thought. But this was one that just went where it just went and uh it was awesome and uh appreciate willie for taking the time again willie marshall um reach out to him at 108pa.com 108 underscore performance text him on twitter or see him on final twitter at willie marshall 108 w marshall at 108performanceacademy.com reach out to him incredibly gifted incredibly intelligent and fortunate to be able to send this guy a text, talk to him here today, and uh, just wanted to get some insight into another great guy who, one, looks out for the whole individual who's growing the game the right way, or growing the game for the right reasons, I should say, and just doing it for the betterment of kids. And um, just can't thank him enough. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening. Episode 50, we got two more. We're going to be able to get to 52 weeks in the 52 weeks for our, uh, our episode uh, to mark up our year anniversary. 
So which is pretty neat. So and again, for number fifty to have a guy that I had never to, when I first started this to think that I was going to talk to Willie Marshall fifty weeks from then, uh, I, I didn't think so. So it's just it's just incredible to to see how how all that came. That was that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool to sit back and think about that actually. So, but until next week, until our fifty first episode, keep getting better.